Love it. Well, hey, welcome again to Central. We're in the series we call Vintage Values. And throughout this series, we're trying to go back to the New Testament, uh, to the scriptures and say, what were the values of the New Testament, Old Testament values that we see threaded throughout scripture? How did that lead to the foundation, the starting of this great church that we call Central Christian Church? Uh, how are those lived out uh, in our lives today? And what does that look like for our future as we move into the, the future, applying some vintage values? And so last week, uh, I kicked it off with talking about faith and how faith is essential to uh, Old Testament, New Testament scriptures, how that applies to, to, to Bill Jessup when he started this church, how that applies to our lives today, and how that will be, continue to be a thread that we see throughout our future. Uh, I'm excited for you today to hear from uh, a young man by the name of Kyle Powers. I don't know if you've heard of him, uh, but uh, he's awesome. He's kind of a big deal. And here's what I want you to know. Uh, I believe uh, that, that at the core of, of this church, whenever it started, was a belief in a future generation. Kyle's going to talk a little bit about that. Here's what I believe. I believe next generation ideas won't come from my generation. It'll come from another generation. Uh, what, what I believe is that, man, the, the generation coming up behind us isn't just the future of the church. They are the church. And a young man by the name of Kyle Powers is carrying that torch very well. Next week, you're going to get to hear from uh, a couple Jessups, a guy named Bryce Jessup and Jim Jessup. And uh, they were here when this whole thing uh, got started. I'm excited for you to hear from them about these vintage values as well. And that will lead to our... Uh, 80th anniversary on March 3rd. So I hope you'll come back. You got a couple invite cards in your program. Uh, grab a friend, come back and join us. Uh, but uh, one thing I would say about Kyle before he comes and he brings the heat, get ready, buckle up. It's going to be awesome. It's going to be awesome. Uh, Kyle and his wife, uh, Kayla, man, they love God. And they are pastoring uh, people in this church very, very well. And Kyle has a passion uh, not only for, for younger generation, not only for older generation, but for, for all walks of life, all pedigree and postures of life, uh, to take hold of God's word and apply it to their life. And so uh, without any further ado, I want to introduce to you a weapon for the kingdom, Kyle Powers. Let's give it up for him. That's probably the best warm, warm welcome you guys have given me in two and a half years, so... Uh, thank you, Tim. Thank you, Tim. Well, like Tim said, and uh, it doesn't say that anymore. You memorized my name. Good job. Um, I am the youth pastor. And one of my favorite things about working with our students is the light bulb that I get to see go off in their heads when they say yes to Jesus. Maybe it's for the first time, or maybe it's the next yes with Jesus. And I think that just something special when it's a teenager, a young person, when they say yes to Jesus, that light bulb looks a little bit different. There's, there's a level of innocence that, sorry adults, it just for some reason to me it's different with students. And so I love seeing that. I love that I get to see that. And I think more in this generation than in some of the previous generations, teenagers are hungry for truth. They're hungry to know what is right and what is not, what is true and what is not, because they've grown up in a culture that tells them that anything they want can be true for them. And that gets really confusing and frustrating when nothing seems to be true. And so teenagers that we meet, that Kayla and I meet in this community, uh, so often don't even think that Jesus, don't even think that the church could be an answer to their search for truth. Not because they think that it's not true, but simply just because they don't think of it. This is a generation growing up that, uh, whose parents didn't go to church, whose grandparents didn't go to church. It's, this is a new thing for us. 
because that wasn't the norm 50 years ago. And teenagers today will have friends who don't go to church and whose parents didn't go to church, whose grandparents didn't go to church. And it creates this like, hey, I'm searching for truth, but I just don't even think that Jesus or the church might have an answer for me. Not because I think that it's not the answer, but just because why would I think of the church? That's not been a part of my family. And so I have loved to experience here in San Jose this new culture rising up, this new generation rising up, because when they are exposed to the gospel, when they are exposed to who Jesus is, so many of them say yes. So many of them feel like, yes, this is the truth I've been searching for. And it's a beautiful thing when we get to see them say yes to Jesus. So if nothing else, there is my plug. Young people matter. Students matter. Teenagers matter. They matter here in this church. They matter in your community, in your neighborhoods. They matter. And so I'm excited that we are a part of a church that values young people. And so young people in the room, high schoolers, wherever you're sitting, middle schoolers, wherever you might be sitting, I want you to know, I want you to hear that this church was founded on a value that young people matter. See, William Jessup, he founded this church believing that the next generation had value. That like Tim said, next generation ideas are going to come from the next generation. So let's raise up the next generation to know the Bible. So their ideas might come from the word. And so young people in the room, if you don't hear anything else from me today, hear that you matter and you have value here. You have value in the church. And that's a cool thing. Uh, William Jessup started Central Christian Church in 1939. And he had a heart to pour into the next generation. Last week, Tim opened up this series called Vintage Values, talking about the great faith that William Jessup had in the face of obstacles, in the face of giants. He pressed forward, and he founded a college, and he planted a church, believing that God was bigger than the giants here in San Jose. And we want to be like that at Central Christian Church today in 2019, because there are still giants here. There are still obstacles that we are facing. There are 1.7 million people in the barrier, and many of them do not know Jesus. Our mission here at Central is to help those people find and follow Jesus. And we believe that God is bigger than the giants that are here. We believe that God is bigger than the obstacles that are here. And we believe that God wants to grow his church. And so we want to join him in this mission. Before I get into our value for this week, I want to share a little bit about my grandpa. Because if you were here last week, you heard Tim talk about his grandma. And that made me jealous. I wanted to talk about my grandpa. So here you go. You get, you get my grandpa's story a little bit. My grandpa was a tall, he was 6'5", he had a big old white beard down to his chest, uh, he had a belly that just might make you believe that Santa Claus was real, and he was jolly to boot. Uh, my grandpa was the joy of the Lord in a person. Um, he was the funniest person I've ever known. He would find joyful moments in any situation. Um, especially as he was diagnosed with Alzheimer's and he started to lose his mind, he became even more joyful. And I think part of that is because his circumstances did not define his joy. Um, one of my favorite stories of my grandpa, every time we would go to a restaurant and all for this example, use Red Lobster because I used to work at Red Lobster. And so it is dear to my heart, um, even though I don't eat fish anymore. So I never go. I just miss out on their endless shrimp. <sighs> the good old days. Lobster pizza is a good one at Red Lobster. You guys should try that. Uh, sorry, off script. Get back to script, Kyle. Here we go. Uh, my grandpa, so whenever we would go to a restaurant, you know, and you, you stand up to the host and you're like, oh, we got six people in our party and they would ask you, what's your name? My grandpa would use the same name every time and it was not his own name. He would say Pocahontas. 
and I don't know why, I don't know what connection he had with Pocahontas, but the host would kind of look at him like, you're kind of older, are you crazy? You know, is that, that's not really your name. He's like, yep, my name's Pocahontas. We've got a party of six or whatever. And so we'd go sit down and 15 minutes would pass or however long, because Red Lobster's fast. They got your back, don't worry. And so then they come and... Uh, so that this host, this usually it's a high school kid or whatever, they come out and they're like, Pocahontas, party of six, your table's ready. And they're kind of chuckling as they say that because that's funny. And then everybody in the room kind of starts to look around and they start laughing. And my grandpa just kind of giggles and gets up and starts walking because he knows he just made an entire room laugh. And no matter what was going on in those people's lives before they got in there, he brought some joy to the room. And that was my grandpa. He did that everywhere he went. He did those kinds of things no matter what room he was in. And he showed me the joy of the Lord in a way that I probably haven't seen in anybody else. My grandpa was a, uh, very involved in the Elks Lodge. He was an exalted ruler at the Elks Lodge. He would be Santa for the Elks every year. He would be Santa for my mom's preschool every year. He didn't just look like Santa. He played the part, which made it all the more confusing for me as a little kid. Um, I loved it. I loved it. One of the things I learned about my grandpa as he got older um, was I, I was sitting in his lazy boy chair in the living room of, of his house. And like I said, he's a big dude. And so it was a big lazy boy. And he was an old lazy boy. So it had a nice big butt print of where my grandpa would sit. And it almost was like my grandpa was hugging me in this chair as I sunk into it. And I looked at his end table right there next to the chair, and I started looking through some of the papers that were on there, and I found this sack of papers that was a bunch of notes written of different passages in the Bible. And, and I'm not sure if it was passages from a message that a pastor spoke at his church, and he was taking notes, or if it was from his own study. Um, I actually have a Bible in my office with my grandpa's name on it that was his Bible, and it's one of my most prized possessions because... It was his, and it's special to me because I know that my grandpa valued the Bible. He valued the Word of God. And he wrote these notes, and I got to read through them and look at how my grandpa viewed Scripture. Got to look at, through the eyes of my grandpa, who he saw God to be. And my, I, I didn't see my grandpa read the Bible very often. I never lived with my grandpa or saw him in the mornings. But I didn't need to see him read it to know he did. It was written on his heart, and out of the heart the mouth speaks, Right? And so my grandpa just expressed everything that he had read, everything that he had impressed upon himself from scripture. And I don't, I never got to know William Jessup, but I bet my grandpa and William Jessup would have been good buds. Because I know that William Jessup also uh, had a high value of the word of God. William Jessup, uh, he committed to the word of God and founded this church on the word of God. In 1939, he came to San Jose to hold a four-week revival. And that four-week revival became a church of 20 people, which is now the church you're sitting in, Central Christian Church. William Jessup believed that the Bible was truly the word of God. It was not just a book. Yes, it's a book, but it was something more. And it was not just human. Yes, it was written by humans, but it was also divine. And there's this intertwining of something ordinary like a human and something extraordinary like the divine and it came together to create this book and William Jessup believed that it was this book he led the foundation of San Jose Bible College whose mission it was to train people up in the Bible and equip them for vocational ministry and the first class at San Jose Bible College had 14 students and those 14 along with the hundreds of students that would follow year after year after year class after class after class 
went on to work in the mission field, to work in churches, to work in the business world, to work in all kinds of places, but all of them did it with the foundation of Scripture. They were trained up and equipped in how to know and understand and live out what the Bible says and who God is. And it changed their sphere of influence. It changed this church. It changed their families. They carried on the mission of helping people find and follow Jesus. William Jessup wanted to start a church to support that college to fund the missionaries. And he started this church with the same heart. To train people up in the Bible and equip them for a lifetime of service in the church. And you're sitting in a building that exists because William Jessup and his family passionately wanted people to know the person of Jesus and wanted them to know the word of God. William Jessup believed that people were at their best when they live with the knowledge of God's word. To know the Bible has always been a value here at Central. It has always been a value here for 80 years, and it will always be a value as we move forward. Passages in the Bible like this one. All scripture is God-breathed and useful for teaching, rebuking, correcting, and training in righteousness, so that the servant of God may be thoroughly equipped for every good work, from 2 Timothy 3, 16 and 17. Those kinds of passages led William Jessup and every pastor of this church that would follow to make teaching the word of God of utmost importance, week after week after week here. William Jessup and every pastor that would follow knew that when Jesus said, man shall not live on bread alone, but on every word that comes from the mouth of God from Matthew 4, 4, that was not just a figure of speech, but there was some, some real truth there. And, and for people to live, and, and, and I mean really live, to live to their fullest potential, for us to experience life the way that God intended it to be, we need to feast on the word of God, not have it like a snack not have it once a day, but to feast, to be full of this book. William Jessup and every pastor that would follow knew Paul's words in Colossians. Let the message of Christ dwell among you richly as you teach and admonish one another with all wisdom through psalms and hymns and songs from the Spirit, singing to God with gratitude in your heart from Colossians 3.16. The message of Christ is to dwell richly among us, within us. The word of God, the message of Jesus is not something we just hear on Sundays and forget about the rest of the week. It's not a good movie you watch once. It's meant to dwell. We're meant to sit in, to sit with the word of God regularly, as often as we can. And when we do, and when you do, when you sit with the word of God, you begin to see and you begin to know that this word is alive. There's something extraordinary about it. And William Jessup and every pastor that would follow knew these words from the author of Hebrews. For the word of God is alive and active, sharper than any double-edged sword. It penetrates even to dividing soul and spirit, joints and marrow. It judges the thoughts and attitude of the heart from Hebrews 4, 12. The words from this book are not dead words. They're not old words. They're not outdated words. They are alive and sharp and will pierce to your soul, not for harm, but for healing. This book is like a mirror. It's one of my favorite ways to describe the Bible is as a mirror. And I can look into the book. I can read it. I can devour it. I can feast on it. And I read the stories and I learn about the characters within the story. And I learn about this, this person named God who is weaved in and through every story of every character in it. And I begin to see myself in the successes and failures of the Israelites in the Old Testament. And I begin to see myself in the, in the early church as the writers were writing these letters to the early church about how to live. And I begin to see myself in their failures, in their successes, in their desire to know Jesus. And then I begin to see how this God and this story loves these people so deeply and so intimately, regardless of their failures. And I begin to see as I look in this mirror and think, man, that God loves me too. 
And that's powerful. That's powerful for me to read this and to begin to see that. William Jessup and every pastor that would follow knew and believed in the words James, the brother of Jesus, wrote down. Do not merely listen to the word and so deceive yourselves, but do what it says from James 1.22. They also knew the words Jesus said in Luke, blessed are those who hear the word of God and obey it from Luke 11.28. And in Matthew, therefore everyone who hears these words of mine and puts them into practice is like a wise man who built his house on the rock, Matthew 7.24. They knew William Jessup and every leader of this church that would follow knew that wisdom comes from above, that true wisdom comes from the word of God, and that followers of Jesus cannot just read the word of God or hear the word of God, but we must do it. We must put it into practice. In the history of Central, a commitment to the word of God was not an option. This was not optional. This was part of how we lived out everyday life. And when I say we, I mean we, the church, Central Christian, for the last 80 years. Central has been sustained through eight different decades. It has been around by commitment to the word of God. Not only was this church founded on the word of God, but the building we are sitting in was built with the word of God. Literally, the two by fours in the walls have Bible verses written all over them. The people of Central, back when this building was built, didn't want to write their names on the two-by-fours or their best joke, thinking someday when the walls were torn down, they'd make somebody laugh. They wanted to write scripture. They wanted to write verses. They wanted to write the words of God that would hold up these walls as the word of God is preached within these walls week after week after week. One study on planting churches says that 40% of church plants close by the end of the first year that 80% of them close by the end of the first five years, and that of the remaining 20%, 80% of those church plants will close within the first 10 years. The odds are stacked against a church being birthed and lasting for 80 years. But that's exactly what's happened here, and that's why you're sitting in this room. And I believe part of the reason is because the people committed to this church have been committed to the word of God. And William Jessup and everyone who would follow knew that the word of God is more than just this book. John says in his gospel, in the beginning was the word and the word was with God and the word was God from John 1, 1. And then John continues in verse 14, the word became flesh and made his dwelling among us. We have seen his glory, the glory of the one and only son who came from the father full of grace and truth. When the church commits to the word of God, it is more than just following the law. It's following Jesus because Jesus is the word. When people go down a path of following the Bible, they're missing who the Bible tells us to follow. The Pharisees during Jesus' time on earth knew the Jewish texts. They knew the law. They had head knowledge, but they missed Jesus. They missed him in the Old Testament, and they missed him when he was in front of their face. And for them, committing to the word of God was committing to follow the law of God. But in doing so, they missed the heart of God. Jesus came not to yell at us to follow all the rules and the law, but to offer us a new way into relationship with God the Father, following Jesus. This church was founded by a man who was not only committed to the word of God, but was committed to Jesus. The word of God has been at the heart of who we are for 80 years, and it will continue to be one of the core values of who Central Christian Church is for years to come. That will not change, not today, not tomorrow, not in a few weeks, not in a few years. This will continue to be a value. Tim said last week that our tactics may change, but these vintage values that have been around since the beginning are not going anywhere. So one, you can be assured of that, that the Bible will be central to who central is for years to come. 
Movements of God begin when people of God commit themselves to the word of God and allow the spirit of God to have his way. And we want that here. We want that here at Central. We want to become a movement in this giant city, but we know that it's not just up to me up here on stage. It's not just up to our staff, our elders, our volunteers. It is up to all of us as the body of Christ to move forward together. And so I think if we want to become a movement, if you will join us in this movement, we need three things that we got to commit to. I believe that we as a church must commit to these three things. We must commit to know the word, we must commit to live the word, and we must commit to share the word. Now today, I'm gonna, I'm gonna leave you today at the end of my time with you with something that I hope you go and do. A lifestyle that I hope you implement, and maybe some of you already are, and I think that is awesome. And that's why we're here. But for, for those of us who, who, who maybe aren't, or those of us who are, let's, I, I wanna leave you with a commission to do something this week. So let's start with know the word. John 17, three says this, this is Jesus talking. Now this is eternal life that they know you, the only true God and Jesus Christ whom you have sent. Proverbs 8.35, for those who find me, find life and receive favor from the Lord. So first things first, when it comes to knowing the word, it begins by knowing Jesus. That is the first step. And for some of you here this morning, that's the only step that matters. None of the rest of this stuff about the Bible, knowing the Bible, living out what the Bible says, or even sharing the Bible is what matters to you. But some of you this morning, the first step is, do you know Jesus? Do you know Jesus? Jesus came and he lived a sinless life. And then he offered himself as a sacrifice for you and for me. And he died on a cross He gave up himself and he took our sins. He paid the penalty for my mistakes, for your mistakes. And thankfully the story doesn't end, but Jesus rises from the dead three days later. He defeated death and he ascended into heaven and he offered to everyone who would choose to trust in him, his spirit as a helper and a guide. The good news about Jesus is that he paid your penalty so you don't have to. And he offers you a new life. So for those of you in this room that don't know Jesus, who are checking out this whole church thing, Jesus thing, I, I want to say to you, Jesus has a life for you to live that is beyond what you could imagine. Jesus has joy for you to have beyond what you think possible in your current situation. Jesus wants to rescue you from the path you're going on that is leading to death because he loves you beyond what we think is even possible. I I am a a new father in the last six months. I have two little kids and my wife and I talk over and over and over again about how much, man, we love these kids. And then every once in a while, we'll turn to each other and be like, it's crazy that God loves them more. It's crazy. And any of you that have parents, you probably get this. Any of you that have loved a little one, get this. Like you feel like I'm bursting with love. And Jesus says, you don't even get it, how much he loves us. Now, once we say yes to Jesus and we step into this knowledge of who Jesus is, then knowing the word takes on another meaning. And we go back to this Matthew 4, 4 passage where it's Jesus says, man shall not live on bread alone, but on every word that comes out of the mouth of God. Now, those of us who've said yes to Jesus, there is a necessity. We need to know what are those words that come out of the mouth of God? Who is this God that we say we follow? What does he believe in? What does he say about me? And here's why it's so important to know truth. Because when we know truth, we can catch things that are not true that are presented to us. Tim told me a story about how uh, bank tellers, they don't catch counterfeit bills when they come across their desk by studying counterfeit bills. 
But they handle the real thing so often, they study the real thing so closely that when counterfeit comes across their desk, they can catch it, they can see it because they know what the true thing looks like. And the same is true for us. When we know what truth is, when we know who God is, when we know who God says we are, when we have a right view of God, a right view of others, a right view of ourselves. That is how when, when social media and culture and, and our jobs and, and the Silicon Valley lifestyle that we're in tells us, this is how you should live. This is who you are. This is the lifestyle you should be having. We can say, no, 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 I know truth because I've read this thing and I've allowed it to dwell within me. I sit with it regularly. But when we don't, it is so easy to get swept up in things that are not true, that look like they're true, that sound like they're true. It's so easy to get caught up. So we got we to gotta be a people who commit to know the word. We know we say yes to Jesus and we know we sit in the Bible. And then secondly, we live the word. We read the beginning of this passage earlier, James 1.22, but I'm going to read a few more verses around it. It says, do not merely listen to the word and so deceive yourselves. Do what it says. Anyone who listens to the word but does not do what it says is like someone who looks at his face in a mirror and after looking at himself, he goes away and he immediately forgets what he looks like. But whoever looks intently into the perfect law that gives freedom and continues in it, not forgetting what they have heard, but doing it, they will be blessed in what they do. Paint this picture for you real fast. Imagine we're having a conversation there's not all these other people around. It's just you and me. And there's a mirror right here, and we're doing a quick little quiz, okay? So I, I look at the mirror, and then I look at you, and then you ask me a question about what's on my face. And so I look at the mirror, and then I look at you, and you're like, hey, how many eyes do you have? And I say, oh, shoot, I forgot. And so I look back at the mirror, and then I look at you, and you're like, hey, do you have any facial hair? And I'm, oh, man, I got to look again. And so I look at the mirror, and I look at you, and you're like, what color are your eyes? Oh, Right? If we did that, you'd probably get one really frustrated and you'd be like, what the heck is wrong with this guy? He just looked at the mirror, right? And yet that's what we do all the time with the Bible. We, we read it, we know it, we know how it tells us to live and it tells us to love our neighbor and then we don't love our neighbor. It tells us to take care of the widows and the orphans and then we forget about them when we see them. And so often we look at this mirror and then we go live our lives as if we had no idea what the mirror was. And I think for some of us, we know that. We know we do that because the reality is all of us do it. And I want to say, um, I'm not perfect. I stand up here on this stage, not as somebody who says, I got it figured out. Do, do it like I do. But I stand up here on the stage saying, I am so grateful that we look at a higher standard. That every single person who stands up on this stage week after week after week is pointing us to Jesus, not to themselves. Jesus, he knew how to do this. He knew how to love his neighbor and take care of the orphans and the widows and to not forget and how to know the word and live out the word. But man, I struggle. I fail. I fall short. Not only sometimes do I not love my neighbor, but I've done, I've done this before, and maybe you're with me, or maybe I'm by myself. As I get out of my car and I walk towards my front door, I live in a townhouse, so there's kind of multiple doors near us, lots of cars parked around, and I see my neighbor over there, and I'm like, oh, get inside. I just want to go eat, or whatever it is, right? How many of us have, have seen somebody who looks like, man, they need some love, but I've got an agenda I've got to get done today? I know I do, more often than I'd like to admit. And so I just want you to know that as I stand up here talking about, man, we are called, we, 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 there is a necessity to know the word and to live it out. 
I'm not perfect. And I know you won't be either. And I think what sets us apart as Christians is what do we do when we fail? What do we do when we fall down, when we fall short? And for me, here's, here's the reality. I think it's more simple than we make it. I think we overcomplicate it. When we fall short, when we're trying to live the word, I think we just need to do the next right thing. We just need to stand up and say, okay, well, what's, what's right now? I can't fix the wrongs I've done. I can't go back and change them. I can't redo them to make them right. They're wrong. I screwed up. I sinned. But what's the next right thing? Because I know, because I've read the word, that Jesus died for that sin too. And I can have some confidence as I walk forward in that truth. And I can do the next right thing. I can do the next right thing. Does that make sense? I think too often we think, what's the great big formula to to appease the God who I just frustrated by my sin? And the reality is, 1 Corinthians tells us, love keeps no record of wrongs, and I don't know any love greater than the love that God has given to us. And so if that's true, if I believe that that's true, that what's in this book is true, then I don't have to worry about my wrongs as much. I just need to get up and do the next right thing. And for some of you, maybe what's holding you back from saying yes to Jesus is the Bible itself. And you're like, how can this book that is outdated and was written in a different language and it it is copies of copies of copies and all this stuff, how can I trust that this is historically accurate? And I don't have the knowledge or the time to stand up here and tell you all the ways that it is historically and scientifically accurate. But there are people who do. There are tons of resources out there, websites, organizations that have committed themselves to tell people how we can know this is true. Not just because it says it's true, but from outside sources. And so if you have questions like that, I encourage you to look it up, to research. Ask me if you need some ideas of where to go because I've read some books and I've done some of that research. But here's what I want to tell you this morning. If it's not true but you apply the principles of the Bible to your life, what have you lost? Probably nothing. You've probably lived a good life. You were a good person. You treated people well. And if it's true and you do apply it to your life, what have you gained? Everything. And if it's true and you don't apply it to your life, what have you lost? Everything. I think the stakes are high. The stakes are high. This is life and death kind of stuff. And so... My belief is it's not my words that'll convince you that this book is real and that it has value and weight, but it's God's words that could convince you. So give it a week. Read it. Genuinely give it a chance to speak into your life. Man, give it a day. That's how real this book, I think this book is. That it is that sharp, that it will speak into your soul, into the places where you haven't shared anything with anybody. And all of a sudden this book knows what's going on in your life. It's because it's God's word. And it's powerful. So I just challenge you, give it a chance. Give it a chance. You see more people in our city Monday through Saturday than you do when you come in here on a Sunday. And so would you commit to living the word as you go from this place? You see more people Monday through Saturday than you do in here on a Sunday morning. So you are Central Christian Church to the rest of the community. The way you live and how you act is central Whether you want that responsibility or not, that's the mantle we carry. And so I challenge you, know what this thing says so that you can actually live it out. And lastly, share the word. Mark 16, 15 says this. He said to them, go into all the world and preach the gospel to all creation. 
preaching the good news is part of what we are supposed to do as followers of Jesus. It's part of who we are supposed to be. And I think there's two ways, two, two big ways that we share the good news. We share who Jesus is to the people around us. The first one is that we share the message. We, we share a testimony. We talk to our neighbors, our families, our coworkers, the stranger on the street, and we say, man, Jesus changed my life. And here's how. Jesus pulled me out of this path I was on leading to death and destruction. I was in consumed by sin and Jesus pulled me out of that and he saved me. And when we share that with people, man, it's powerful. A lot of times it's powerful because those people value you and they think, man, if this is true for them, this, this has some weight. If I go talk to your neighbor, they don't care what I have to say because it's your neighbor. And so we collectively as the body of Christ have a job to do in sharing the word. And secondly, I think we share the message, we share the good news by how we act, by how we live. This knowing the word, living the word, and sharing the word is very connected. And I think that what we behold, we will reflect to the world. If I behold the word of God, if I behold joy, if I behold goodness and good things, that's what I'm gonna reflect to the people around me. And they're gonna say, where does that come from? They might say that, but they might not. You might get an opportunity. If I behold ugliness and dirty things and sinful things, that's what I'm gonna reflect to the world around me. And so my challenge is let's be people who behold the word of God, that this might be the thing that is most reflected to the people around us. We're not perfect. We're not sinless like Jesus was, but I wanna behold as much of Jesus as I can so as much of Jesus gets reflected out from me as often as it can. That's what I want. We're going to share, uh, we share the good news about Jesus to the people around us because we've been saved, not in order to be saved. Because I have been saved, I go out and I share of my salvation. It is not how I become saved. I hope we, I hope you know that. And we remember what Jesus has done for us, and that shouldn't be kept to ourselves. Every Sunday, we enter into a time of remembrance when we go into communion, and we talk about what has Jesus done for us? How has he sacrificed for us? And we remember, and we take the, the, the bread and the juice, and we remember. But I think if you're anything like me, and I grew up in church, I was dedicated in a church when I was six months old, I am a church kid to the core. If you're anything like me, you've been taking communion for a long time and it becomes a ritual. It becomes just something you do at church and you, you lose the power and the weight. But Jesus set this up so that we would remember his sacrifice, so that we would remember the life that we were plucked from and the life we were given. And there is power in remembrance. And when we remember, I oh man, I wish we would walk out of here just oozing with joy, oozing with like, God is good. And ooze is kind of a weird word, but go with it, okay? That if we were to truly remember that the people we encounter next would be affected by what's oozing out of us. But too often, I think we just take the juice, take the bread and let it pass. And we say we remember, we pray. So today, man, could that just be different? As the ushers come down, I'm gonna pray here in just a moment. The ushers are gonna come down. And I just want you to take a moment by yourself. Just take a moment with these elements and just sit and remember the life Jesus plucked you from. Remember how Jesus sacrificed himself, how he paid the penalty so you wouldn't have to. The blessings he's given over and over and over again. Remember it. Because I think, man, when we remember it, we desire it more. When I remember Jesus has saved me, I want more Jesus in my life. 
when I remember that Jesus has called me and equipped me, man, I want more of the word in my life. I wanna be more like him. And so would you remember, and not pretend to remember, not take the juice because you're thirsty or the bread because you're hungry, but man, remember. And from that remembrance, let's be a people who go from here different, different, acting different, being different because of the word of God. So I'm gonna pray. The ushers are gonna come down and then uh, we'll, we'll get ready to close out our service. God, I just thank you for being good. I thank you that we have the freedom to be here week after week to remember what you've done in our life, that we have the Bible at such incredible access to it on our phones, in different translations, in different languages, paper, print, all this stuff. God, we are blessed to have your word. And so I just ask that we would be a people, the Central Christian Church would be planted here in San Jose with full of people who truly believe that this is your word, not just a book, but something divine, that we would value it in our own lives that we would read it, that we would sit in it, that we would feast on it, that it would change who we are, it would change how we live. God, that we would remember you and the sacrifice you made on the cross, shedding your blood, giving your body as a penalty for my sins, not your own. And that because of that, God, I would be excited to join you in your mission. Help each of us in this body to be excited to join you in your mission, God. It's in your name we pray, amen. Movements of God begin when people of God commit themselves to the word of God and allow the spirit of God to have his way. We want that here. We wanna be a movement in this city. And I, I think William Jessup started a movement 80 years ago. And I think that if he were here today, he would be stoked to see this building, to see this place, to see these people. He probably wouldn't use that word, but he'd be pretty excited. And you know what I, I think, what I've learned from William Jessup uh, for being here for two and a half years is that William Jessup would probably stand up on this stage and say, we're not done yet. We have only just begun. We say something here, Tim started it. If you're not dead, you're not done. And so if you're sitting here in this room, man, there is a movement waiting to happen through this group of people, as we commit to know the word of God, to live the word of God and to share the word of God. You might've seen these little cards in your program. It's an easy little birthday invite to our 80th anniversary. Let's begin bringing people to this place so they can be introduced to Jesus. And we wanna do whatever it takes to, to help them see Jesus, to experience the love of God. So would you commit to making the word of God a value in your life, to making the Bible a value in your life, to making Jesus a value in your life, not just on Sundays, but every day, that this body would grow, that this body would be changed because of what you do and what you commit to here. We're not done yet. We've got big places to go. God has big plans for his church here in San Jose. And it takes all of us. So I'm excited about that. We're gonna worship some more.